Hello everyone and welcome back or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. This is Tom Ford and as I'm sure most of you know by now, I believe that success in our inner world leads to success in our outer world. Um, What I mean by that is the more we can better understand ourselves and the reason why we do something, then I believe we're far better equipped to aim and strive towards whatever we set our sights on. And I believe the best way that we can do that is to ask ourselves better questions. For example, why am I actually doing this? What is really important to me? And what might be stopping me? And as we begin to ask ourselves these questions and go on the journey of exploring the answers that come up, then what I think that helps us to realise is that success is something that we can achieve on a daily or even momentary basis, and it's not something that's bound up in external results or outcomes. And from my own experience, that just creates a huge amount of space to just enjoy the path we're on, to see it more clearly, to experience it more deeply. And when you work from that place, then I believe that success in the external form just flows as a natural result. And that's really what gave me the inspiration to start this podcast, was to greater understand this inner world, the inner dynamic of some of the people who are really achieving a lot in the world, and in particular the squash world, and to really get to know and understand the person behind the craft, with the hope of illuminating the many different forms of success and the many different paths that we can walk to reach them. In today's episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Mohammed El Shabagi. Mohammed has achieved more things than even some of the best players or athletes in the world would be happy with, and he's only 27. In 2009, he became the second man in history to win the World Junior Championships twice in a row, and by November 2014, at the age of 23, he became the fourth youngest player to reach the world number one spot and remained there for 28 months. In that period, he dominated the tour, most notably between December 2015 and April 2016, where he obtained the highest ever world ranking points average, winning six successive World Series titles. However, in 2017, to the surprise of many, he began to lose more often, falling from the number one position he and everyone else had become so accustomed to. He seemed to lack the drive and fire that was so evident before. And this is one of the reasons why I was so fascinated to have this conversation with Mohammed, to understand the emotions he was feeling at the time, the processes he went through, and ultimately what led to what followed. Complete domination again. A return to world number one, winning the world championships for the first time, and creating even more history by being the longest reigning Egyptian world number one. This conversation is a journey into a realm that few people know what Muhammad likens to a jungle. He openly shares in great detail insights from being at the top, from losing it and from returning. He believes everything comes down to the mind and that is evident in the drive and determination that is synonymous with his name. But what I think will really surprise you about this conversation is another side to Muhammad, a softer side, a more contemplative side, a side that few people get to see. And that's really what made this conversation so special for me. And I hope it is for you too. Here's Mohammed El Shabagi. Okay, hi everyone, and welcome back, or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. Uh, this is Tom Ford, and my guest today doesn't need any introduction, really. 
his list of accomplishments are probably so long that that would be a podcast in itself. Uh, so for now, I'll just um, I'll introduce him as the current world number one, the current world champion. Uh, he's known as the Beast. It's uh, Mohammed El Shabagi. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks, Tom, and thanks for having me today. No, I'm I'm really grateful for you uh, for you offering the time. I remember about a year ago, um, I kind of came to you with you know the idea of of doing the podcast and. Um, it's interesting how you know it's finally come into fruition and, and we're sat having this conversation now so so thanks for making the time I appreciate it no I'm really happy for you and really happy that you started it and uh, I can see the success of it and uh, lots of uh, great squash players have already been in and uh, I'm glad to be just part of it as well uh, that means a lot thank you <laughs> so um, we're sat here in Bristol I mean it's a it's a city that's really kind of become synonymous with, with you and your brother, Hadrian as well, and just a, a hub of professional squash players. And it's probably been quite a long time since I've been here and I've, I've seen you being part of the, the cultural, we've been part of it together in a way. Um, and it's been really interesting to see how you've changed since I first met you. And particularly lately, I feel like you've changed uh, quite a considerable amount um, and I think, you know, we all naturally change mm-hmm. over time. But, but for me particularly, I, I feel like you have in this, in this last year changed. Would, is it, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess as a professional squash player, you, uh, you go through phases and it, these phases mature you, they change you. And uh, yeah, some, some of these phases uh, changes some at least to negatives and some of them, some, some change them to, to positives. And uh I feel I've always, whenever I've been through a struggle, whenever I've been through anything in my career, in my life, I always try to look at the positives, even mm-hmm. if uh, the positives were minimal, but I've always tried to hold on to them as much as I can. And uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, especially that last year, I've had a good season, and uh, but I uh, it wasn't just about be, me being on court and playing well. It was a lot of things happening off court that I had people supporting me. Uh, people who uh, knew what I was going through and uh, what I w- needed to achieve and wanted to achieve for myself, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I needed to work hard. And uh, but it was more about uh, things, seeing life differently a little bit, and trying to relax in my life. And uh, before stepping on court, because I, I I used to be kind of a person who used to put so much pressure on himself, which worked worked definitely in big parts of my career. I mean, I still was able to get to the top of the ranking at 22 th- this way, but. Uh, I uh, felt that if I wanted to uh, have a long career, I couldn't have done that for a long time uh, because it kind of takes so much out of you mentally. So uh, when I kind of lost my ranking, it kind of gave me time to think uh, of how I can improve and I had more time to myself because when you keep winning, you know, uh, you literally, you finish one tournament, you win it and uh, you straight on focus for the next one and you don't have time to think about what's going on. Uh, but uh, two years ago when things were not going my way it's uh, I had a summer where I spent so much time by myself uh, to get to know who I was and what I wanted and uh, how I need to come back again and I realized that uh, uh, putting pressure on myself could work on my side for a long period of time but uh, it took so much out of me and I had no more mental energy left in me to keep going so I had to be more relaxed about the way I approach things about uh, I needed to kind of enjoy uh, my career more enjoy uh, hitting a squash ball more than I used to and being grateful for uh, the life I have and the people I'm around and uh, 
and the traveling I do and uh, just uh, just be grateful for all the things that I've achieved and uh, and um, and uh, knowing that I have achieved them at, at such a young age and I still have hopefully way more to give to the sport so uh, I feel uh, that's the reason of I mean the main reason why I came back last season you know I, uh, uh, I it wasn't about winning the titles I won last season it was the way I won them uh, mm. I think the way I won them were completely different than any other season uh, I was way more relaxed winning them and uh, it it made a huge difference at the end part of the season where I felt like I still had energy left in me to keep going and um, so yeah it's all about maturity I was, I was lucky I would call myself lucky to be able to uh, play at the top of the games at such a, such a young age and to talk the way I am talking right now a lot of people get to that uh, maturity at, uh, at a very late stage in, in their career but I, I'm only 27 I feel like I've reached that kind of maturity at a young age and uh, I think uh, and I feel lucky to 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 have that. Uh, it's an, obviously an advantage I have right now. But uh, but I uh, next season as well, I will have to look at it differently. Every season is different. Every your body is different. So definitely, the way I approach life is completely different. That's I mean the secret of what happened last season. Yeah, I I really noticed that actually, and um, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it in that way because. Um, I think I, when I was preparing for this conversation, I heard one of your interviews and you, uh, I think Joan, you had a conversation with Jonah, one of many, of course, but he said, do you feel like your time at world number one is, uh, is finished? Mm. And you said, no, I'm only just beginning. And, mm. and I really, before listening to that, I really got a sense of that. And, mm. um, and that just kind of confirmed it to me as well. And, um, my sort of observation of looking at it was, you know, as you've already said, you you such a driven guy and um and i think for a long time you had lots of people to chase there was always um someone to aim for and, and someone to channel that um that drive towards and um and i think it for, at least from my perspective it looked like you'd spent so long at, at number one that it almost looked like you needed to readdress where you were going to channel that drive towards and, and uh, what it really meant for you is that the case I mean, that's in in every sport. The, the 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 athletes who are great are the ones who stays at world number one for a very long time. The reason for this is, uh, they say staying there is much tougher. I understood that when I fell off it, because the thing is, uh, the more you stay there, everyone in every sport they all study the world number one in any sport because he's the one raising the bar of the sport. He's the one who is being chased by six seven hundred athletes all of them studying him and that's the why the longer you stay there the more you're being studied the more you they find weaknesses in you um that's why a lot of athletes when they lose their world number one they kind of struggle to get back again because uh uh it's not easy to accept that uh, you have had someone raising the bar over you uh and that's the toughest part about trying to get back again is knowing that the level you played at when you were world number one before is not acceptable anymore. That's the toughest part about trying to get back again. When you accept that, you start to have a chance at maybe, maybe you could get that back again. Uh, because still, there is a lot of hard work to do that after. Uh, but uh, when Jonah, Jonah, Jonah didn't tell me, it was actually someone who asked Jonah, do you think that Shabagi's world number one days has finished? Um, which for me, I've always had challenges and it, I, lo- I love challenges, you know, and uh, it was a huge challenge for me to try and get back again. Um, I guess all of us have a lot of confidence in our abilities, 
But the people who have done it before, they have more confidence than others. And I have done it before, so I know how, how it's done. And uh, I have seen the generation of Nick Matthew, Shabana, James, Darwish, Rami, Linku, Palmer. I have, I've, seen, I've seen Greg, of course. Uh, I've seen all of them literally killing each other on court for so many years. And I was only 17 years old and I battled with them. And, uh, and uh, this, this generation taught me how to play the sport. They made me tough. And uh, I was lucky enough to be the only one out of my generation to be able to live these days with, the, with that kind of that toughest generation that ever played the sport. And I've seen how all of them, what kind of stuff they went through. I've seen all of them going through hard times and I've seen all of them losing motivation, didn't want to be even on court. I've seen all of them when they uh, absolutely were playing at their best, you know. I played them, all of them, through these kind of phases. And uh, so whenever I went through a phase of this, I kind of started to, I, I would remember that great generation of what, uh, th- what they did during those times. Uh, uh, and that's kind of the experience, the, the extra experience I have over my own generation, that I have seen gen- that generation doing this. Uh, and that's why I think that helped me a lot of getting back on track again this season. And um, I took it as a challenge when Jonah told me that I was asked that question. So I told him, no, my days at the top are not even started because mm-hmm. I was only 26 at the time. I, uh, I A lot of players peak late 20s and I, I feel like uh, I've already achieved so much. So... Uh, I feel like it's definitely I'm the one with the least pressure out of the players that I play against. They are the ones who are still trying to get the titles, to put titles into their CV while I already have that, you know. So anything I win is a bonus. Everything is just more of an achievement for me. So I, um, so that's one of the things I started to realize about how to relax myself, you know, about thinking, why do I need to have pressure? What do I need to put pressure on myself? I already achieved all the titles I want to achieve. It's the rest that still want to achieve them. So I'm the one with the more experience. So I'm the one who should be way more relaxed than everyone else right now. And that's the kind of thoughts I started adding to my, uh, to, uh, to my, um, that's the kind of, uh, like, kind of uh, the way I started to think before the, that last season. And it completely relaxed me and, uh, uh, and I think we've seen that in a lot of tournaments. And uh, I think especially the World Championship, when I had that tough draw, and uh, I had to completely be a different person approaching that draw. And uh, just, uh, yeah, just uh, every every tournament I played this season, there was a different challenge. And uh, I think I, I passed a lot of those challenges. I passed these tests. But these tests are about to get way tougher next season, definitely. And mm-hmm. um, so you mentioned that you know, as you said, when you're when you're winning so regularly, you don't you very rarely have the time to uh, to kind of reflect as much. Um, so, can you do you mind sort of sharing a little bit more about kind of the process that you went through when you did, as you said, you got to know yourself better? Um, was is there a period that stands in mind that where you realise that that is a change that you had to make, um, and also just sort of what kind of process did you go through? What did that look like? Well, there was one particular point last season where I played the tournament in Laguna where I lost to my brother in 24 minutes. And that was the quickest time I've lost in my life. And um, I knew at that time that um, I lost lost a lot of matches that season. But uh, during that, after that match, exactly when I lost in 24 minutes, I uh, went off court. I... um, I got David Palmer number, literally with my sweaty t-shirt, literally two minutes after the match. And I called him, I told him, hi, David. I 
never spoke to him that much. I spoke to him only once in my life. So he must have thought, who is that crazy guy? <laughs> and uh, literally two minutes after the match, I was everything. I still had my sweaty clothes, everything. I told him, hi, David. I uh, just lost to my brother, 24 minutes. I uh, I lost my ranking, lost all the tournaments. Uh, things are not going my way. And I want to come back next season again. And I want to work with you. Um uh, and he said he was really up for it. He saw it as a challenge as well for him, that he, uh, it's a new challenge for him. It was a challenge for me and uh, to work with someone new, something that I haven't done in my career to change a little bit of a scenario, which is some, any athletes, it's kind of good to have sometimes, you know, as a change. Uh, uh, and then uh, we agreed that we'll make it work. And then just when we were about to finish the phone call, literally just, then I was like, but David, you know, I don't accept being world number three. I don't accept, I was world number three at the time. I don't accept being world number three. I don't accept world number two. I only accept number one. And when I said that, I wanted him to know what kind of mentality he would work with. Uh, but when I said I only accept being number one, I didn't mean as being the world number one. I meant as playing as a winner. I don't mind losing, but the way I was losing that season, I wasn't playing as a winner. I was playing uh, with a bad body language. I wasn't. I w- didn't want to be on court. Uh, if I go on court, leave it all out there, and play, give it everything, and I know that I have trained hard and play as a winner, even if the outcome didn't go my way, I have no regrets over that, you know, because that's sport. You lose some, you win some, and you have to accept that. And in order to accept the good days, you have to accept the bad days first. And I, I don't mind having the bad days while giving it everything. But that season, I was not giving it everything, and uh, I would never accept that on myself. And, um, and we made it work, and uh, I went to a different fitness coach as well, um, I needed I needed something different. The base is always the base, you know. Uh, you never change your base. Like when I spoke with David, he told me he always trained with Sean all his career. But during his career, he went. I can't remember. He went trained with someone else for a little bit. Uh, but he always had Sean in his corner. Uh, while uh, for me, I've now like last season maybe I, I went a little bit away. But this season, I'm coming back having Hadrian and David work together. Uh, it's it's important to have the whole team now back again with me, and I'm back now on track, you know. But yeah, it was a good move for me. Definitely, it worked my way. Uh, and uh, he's someone, of course, that he has been through it, and know what it takes to try and get back there again. And that was important for me to have someone who um, who understand what how hard it is mentally to go through those kind of times. Uh, and yeah, it's just. Uh, and we went there, we spoke a lot when I got there the first day and uh, uh, we got to know each other, which uh, it was important for both of us. And uh, yeah, it was definitely something I'm really glad I did. I'm, I'm keen to know more about the, the time by yourself. What sort of reflections did you have? You know, like I, I spoke to Camille Serm not long ago and I think when you're, when you're very focused on what you want to achieve and you maybe put a lot of pressure, pressure on yourself, um, we rarely make the time to to look back and as you've already said to to see already what you've achieved and how lucky that you are and, and actually there's there is a power behind that and yeah. it seems like that's something that you've kind of discovered or uncovered through this period and yeah. um, how, how did it come about is it something that uh, Dave Palmer helped with or um, tell us a bit more about your process that you I went mean, through I mean to be honest like um I have, um, it depends on, every athlete is different. Every athlete's goals are different. Some athletes just want to win, their aim is to win a World Series title. So once they win it, they 
they just celebrate so much that they forget that there is a rest of season to play, you know. Mm. And some at least they're, I mean, they're, some at least all they want to win or want to get to kind of uh, top four. Some at least want to get top eight. Some at least want to get world number one. Some at least want to win everything. So it's just every every at least have his own goal. But all I what I learned that you cannot compare. There is no better athlete than other. There is every athlete can be the best version of himself. So for me, I want to try and win the World Series title. I want to win the World Championship. I want, and I don't want to do it for one season. I want to do it for many seasons. That's how you become one of the greatest of the sport. And uh, you don't you don't become one of the greatest of the sport by just playing well one season or playing well few tournaments a season. You know, you need to keep it up the whole season, back it up tournament after tournament. That's what's so great about Nick and Greg and Shabana and Juncher and uh, I don't want to miss. Any, but like there are so many who have done it. What's great about them? They have done it for so many years. They didn't just come out of the blue like that. Did it for a year and uh, and then they couldn't do it again. That's when you can call it like a lucky year, you know. And but like if you wanna prove that this is where you belong, you have to do it for so many years. If you wanna prove that you you won one big tournament uh, and you wanna prove that uh, you you didn't get it by luck, you have to do it many more times, you know. And uh, so so for me, I wanna keep winning. So. So if that's my goal, I will never have time to celebrate. Because literally, the moment I win, two days later, a few days later, I have another tournament to focus to to win, uh, to try and win. And uh, and I remember uh, I had the last season San Francisco, US Open, and then Channel Vlad and Qatar and Hong Kong. Literally five tournaments in a row. And I won San Fran. I had two days to prepare, at, literally, and then I had the US Open after. And I lost the final to Ali that US Open. Then literally two days later, we were all going to Channel Vlad in London. <laughs> And uh, I didn't have time to to kind of process why I lost that final, but I had to kind of not be negative and not get it into me and think positive. What am I gonna do next in the next tournament? You know, because it's normal that you lose. You can't win everything. So literally, I don't. I I, I never really celebrate the. And I don't really celebrate as much because if I win a big tournament, my goal is not to win this big tournament. My goal is to keep winning big tournaments. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the only time I'm going to start celebrating is after I finish my career, you know, mm-hmm. when I look back and see that I did what I wanted to do. And I'll be thankful at the end of my career always, for sure, because I have, I'm already thankful, but I want to keep going and I want to keep hungry because I feel that the moment I'm going to celebrate, that's the way that the moment I will feel that I have lost hunger for the game. Uh, and that's what happened when I won the world championship this year. I think the reason of why I lost second round the TUC the month after it, because I celebrated after I won the world championship mm. because it was something I waited for so long and uh, that's why after a lot of the NTC second round I was so angry at myself because my aim is never to win one world championship my aim is to keep winning a lot of big titles and I was not happy with myself uh, but I'm a hu- but I showed I was a human being who can do mistakes as well you know I cannot get everything right all the time and that's why after the TUC I stayed in the states and uh, I trained with Palmer because I felt like I needed to um, I need someone to kind of uh, to be hard on me a little bit and, um, and and wake me up and tell me no you're you're not good enough you still want to come back and win the season is not over you have played well half the season but you there's still four or five months left of the season what are you gonna do what are you gonna do you're gonna be happy about just you won the world championship you're gonna lose all the rest so I didn't want to look like that you know so I came back won Chicago after the Canary Wharf it's it's the good thing you know about this time that. Uh, about this time is about uh, that I learned I I know how to learn quickly during the season now. Mm. That's something that I didn't have before, okay. and uh, I think it's an important factor of the experience I have now mm. and the maturity I have in, on tour. 
where, where do you think this hunger comes from, the drive that you have? Do you feel like you've always had that in a sense or you've always had that vision to be where you want to be? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, everyone's drive is different. But uh, if you want to be at the top of the sport, if you, if you don't have that drive to get you to be one number one, you'll never get there the way that, you'll never get there no matter how talented you are. Mm. Because at the top of the game, it's harder. At least the guys are tough. Uh, that generation with Nick and Greg, James, all these guys, these guys are tough. And I, to go through them, I had to be as tough as them. I had, I had to, and I was, I was so much younger than them. So I had to show them, I had to force them to accept me, to be, to be one of them. And to do that, I had to go at them and show them that, yeah, I'm much younger, but I'm going to try and beat you guys. And I know that uh, they would respect that because that's the way that they want it. They want someone to go hard at them because they would go hard at you back. Uh, but if uh, you go with fear again in them, they will they will eat you alive on court. And I learned that, you know. And uh, but at the whole of the game, it's hard, you know. If you're not strong, you know, it's you'll be eaten alive. It's uh, it's like it's like basically you're in a jungle for me, you know. That I've always Jonah told me. You're, it's like at the top of the game, it's a jungle, you know. It's uh, and 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 the the strongest is the one who survive. Basically, if and if you're uh, if you're a bit soft there, you know you're gonna be eaten alive. It's how it is. Everyone's trying to take your spot. You can't show any sign of uh, weaknesses. You can't be soft. You have to be tough and hard. And uh, yeah, during tournaments, I have a mask to wear. You know, I have to always show I'm strong. I have to whenever, even when I'm at my weakest, I never try and show any of this. Uh, body language is everything at the sport. If someone gonna show me a bad body language, I'm just gonna hold on to it and. I will never let it go, you know. I will just make sure you give me that, keep giving me that body language every time I'm gonna play you. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, it's tough. At the top of the game, it's definitely very tough. Uh, and, but I enjoy it. I yeah, really yeah, enjoy I it. And, and I really uh, wanna be there for a long time uh, because uh, I, would, I wouldn't wanna do anything else except being there. And uh, I know it's not gonna last forever, but it's giving me the memories I'm gonna live with for the rest of my life. It's interesting. You use the word talent. You said, um, you know, talent alone won't get you to the top, to the top of the jungle, the food chain of the jungle. Um, but on the opening line of your biography on the PSA World Tour, it says one of the most talented players on the PSA World Tour. Uh, do you agree? And how do you think of talent as well? I think talent can be different in the way you look at it i think the talent that is misunderstood and the talent not misunderstood i think the talent that is not uh, appreciated in the sport the mental talent uh there is a flashy talent that someone can hit a neck someone can uh, get everything back someone make the sport look uh, like uh, not make the, someone who can basically can hit a shot that everyone can say wow okay that is Something that is very few people can do on tour. But I'm saying very few as maybe you can say 10 out of 50. But the mental talent, that's a talent that you can have 2 out of 50. That the people that will have them. And that is a talent not many can have. I think that is a talent that can that separate the players who win big matches from others. Uh, and... Um, I think uh, that talent is not really appreciated by people because that is a talent that is not seen uh, and not understood unless you are an athlete yourself. Because you are the athletes only who understand that what kind of talent 
someone who is mentally talented, mentally strong is. Uh, because only athletes who played against uh, people who have that kind of talent know how hard it is playing against these kind of players. A mentally strong player is going to make you feel like if you're going to go on court with him, it's like going to a war with him. It's like uh, to win a point out of him, it's going to be so hard that you're going to hate trying to go through that rally for the rest of your career. That's what <laughs> the hardest athletes do to you. That's what someone like Nick always did to us. To try and beat him, he made sure that if you're going to beat him once, he's going to show you how hard it is to beat him, that he makes you want to give up when you play him next time against him. That's what Nick did to others. And that's what I learned from him, you know. You're going to beat me? Okay, fair enough, you're going to beat me. But uh, I'm going to make it so hard that uh, that every time you're going to want to beat me, that's how it's going to be. But for someone who can hit the neck, I'll play with you for for like a few seconds and then you're going to finish the point with a great shot. You know, for example, but like I would rather play someone who hit the neck, for example, have that talent and not make me run that hard in the rally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Than playing someone who is like Nick, who like if, if he's going to beat me in one point, he's going to make me run for like two, three minutes. He's not going to finish the rally when he want, when he wants to, when he could finish it. No, he will make me uh, suffer first and then win the point. Yeah. That is the hard, that is the hard type of uh, at least you, you could play against for me, anyway, that's my opinion. And um, and this, at least, the greatest athletes in every sport have one thing in common, their mental strength. Not their talent, it's their mental strength. I think someone like Rami, for example, people always talk about how talented he is as a squash player, but people actually don't see how talented mentally he is. Uh, and the reason of why he's the greatest, one of the greatest of the sport for me is because how mentally strong he is. It's because, right. And it's not his squash talent that always got him back from injuries. It's his mental talent. And that's, uh, and that's, his, and that's his talent that is not appreciated. And it's, he's more appreciated for his squash skills more, <laughs> more than his mental talent. When athletes who play against him, against him, they suffer more because of his mental talent. Because he is so mentally talented. And uh, he's a squash genius, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, but all the top of the sport, all, 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 all of us are squash geniuses out there, you know. But, like, but his mental strength is what separates him al- uh, than a lot of athletes. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, the thing in common between all the greatest athletes in every sport. So um, with all the, the success that you've achieved already, do you feel like your definition or how you view success has changed over time? Yeah, of course. I've viewed success differently. I mean, um, I'm, uh, I used to be, when I uh, want to win a title and lose, I used to be so disappointed. It used to hit me, hit me a little bit. I would go back and still train hard and uh, want to try and come back again stronger than ever. But uh, now if I uh, lose a big turn, like how I saw, like when I lost at the US Open, for example, uh, I was so relaxed about it, you know. I um, I uh, I didn't. Uh, I I thought as uh, I looked at it in a very positive way as uh, what what I did wrong there and how I can improve, you know. So I don't do the same mistakes again. And I think that showed for the rest of the season that I didn't do the same mistakes again of what I did at the US Open. Like I kind of started to uh, take losses a bit more differently. I'm someone as well who listen to the people I trust. I don't just go with the things I have in my head and not listen to anyone. I've been always good at listening. I don't listen just to anyone who would just tell me anything like that. I, I, would, I would listen to my team. I would listen to the people I trust because these are the people who know me as a person before they know me as a squash player. And that's what matters, you know. And um, But yeah, of course, I, uh, I mature definitely with the way I take losses, the way uh, I see success. Um, 
successes about uh, like before I used to, for example, to try and be better than a certain kind of player. And now I just realized that I only need to be better than who I was yesterday. And especially with someone in my position at the ranking right now, I need to keep chasing myself. Because if you chase whoever behind me, I will, my level is going to keep going down and down and down. Uh, so I need to keep chasing myself, chase my records, chase my, the tournaments I won, uh, and try and be better than who I was. And if I keep doing that, then that's an achievement itself. That's a success on its own. And that's, I think, the best success you can have. And that's, that's a much harder thing, I would imagine, to do, because if you've got an idea of someone that you need to beat in order to, to develop, then, you know, there are maybe quite simple things that you need to, or very maybe more obvious things that you need to work on to develop. Yeah. Um, have you found that that's been a skill that has taken quite a while to learn in terms of, you know, maybe you are still modeling your game on the people that are trying to beat you? Um, but have you found that that's been a new kind of challenge to to just keep raising your own bar with not necessarily as much reference to, to other people? No, it's different because, uh, like, for example, the my first phase at the top of the ranking, I wasn't looking at how I was going to improve because I thought that if I keep winning, I, I'm already my game is good enough to stay there. But that's what the most is the most dangerous thing about being the top of the ranking is when you're there, you don't lose as much. And you, the coach or everyone always say that you only learn from losing. But if you're at the top of the ranking, you're going to be losing only two or three times the whole year. So uh, that's the most dangerous thing about it is you have to learn from winning. You have, yeah. to, learn, you have to learn from uh, the mistakes you have done even when you win. Because even the matches you won, you have done mistakes during these matches. You don't want to repeat them. But it's so hard to look at the mistakes after you win a match. Because after you win a match... You thought that, oh, I'm glad I won. That's it. But when you lose, it's uh, it's easier to look back and think, what do I need to learn after a loss than after winning? And that's what I learned. I need to learn through my wins more more than my losses. Definitely. I, l I love that. Because yeah. as, as you said earlier on as well, you know, mm -hmm. you, you won a lot of matches, but not in the way that you would have liked to or not in yeah. a way that... Um, is representative of where you want to be or like the things that you want to achieve beyond this. Um, so we'll move like a little bit onto kind of tour life and actually about sort of your, almost like your day to day, I guess, because yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that it, it might be quite easy for people to look at someone in your position and, and be like, Oh, a couple of different things. One, wow, it must be an amazing life. You know, you get to travel loads, nice hotels. You get to play the sport you love. Um, he, he's world number one. He's probably an alien because of all the stuff that he does. Um, but I'm, well, I'm intrigued to know more about the, the side that not many people see, you know, where this mental talent does really come into play. Um, what what do you consider to be like the shadow side of being a, an athlete? Like, what's the cost of pursuing sporting excellence? I think there is. Um, I think it's different between every athlete see it differently. But for me, um, you see, if 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 you want to be the best in any sport, you have to accept many things. You have to accept many struggles you're gonna th go through during the season. You have to accept knowing that you're gonna play. You have to accept the fact that you're going to be more tired than every time you go on court, you're going to be more tired than your opponents because you're playing way more matches than everyone. Mm -hmm. You have to accept the fact that you're doing, uh, you have less uh, recovery days between tournaments. You have to accept the fact that you could get sick and you have to accept that and still play through it. You have to accept that you're going to have way more niggle than everyone, niggle than in your body than everyone right. else, and you have to accept that. The moment you give one excuse through any of this kind of stuff, and it's not going to be an excuse. Yeah, you're actually going through niggles. Yeah, you're sick. But if you 
give that as an excuse, you don't deserve to be the top of the of your own sport. Because if you want to be at the top, you have to accept playing through these things and know how to win and stay there. Because being the best is not about getting everything right every time you go on court, but it's finding a way to win when you're not playing your best. That's what makes the difference. And, um, that's the mental talent that's the mental the, talent the squash talent exactly yeah. and yeah I mean especially at, at the end of the season man it's hard because if you if you kept playing all the finals like last season I did 12 finals out of 14 events I played and I at the end of the season when I had uh, I think when I had the, I think I went through three days uh, three tournaments where I had Chicago and I was playing the last match of the day every day and I was finishing around 11 p.m. I literally finished two days later. I had Canary Wharf, which I got I had a fever during the tournament and I had to take antibiotic during the tournament. And I still managed to have a 3-2 with my brother and then 3-2 with Tarek in the final. And then literally two days later, I had to play Switzerland. And literally, I, I had to play at 10 p.m. every single night. And uh, the top half had one rest day. And then I had in my semifinal, I finished with James at 11 p.m. And the other semi-final was finished at 2 p.m. And then the final was played at 12 p.m. the next day. But things like this, you know, I accept them. I don't, I never give myself as an excuse when I go on court. And I ac- you have to accept going through that struggles because it makes you tough. It makes you, it makes your story inspiring at the end of your journey. And I would rather have that kind of story of being tough through struggles than having it easy because that's what makes your story uh, something that when you're gonna talk about it people want to listen to it you know and I remember you know the packing when I packed for Laguna and then the British and then Dubai Dubai especially I was struggling mentally and physically I was very tired playing Dubai and uh, and I took it as a challenge you know I told myself uh, when you when you're at the end of the season you do like that part where you have to pack and go through another flight and you're tired and just want to kind of uh, I wouldn't say you want the season to finish but you want to uh, kind of have even few extra days at the break but uh, you can't have them because you can't relax because the moment you relax that's the moment you someone is going to hunt you down uh, this kind of stuff where you have to go still and train and all that kind of stuff and push yourself through training this kind of stuff are the behind the scenes stuff that no one really see. But that's what I changed me, that I have found a way to enjoy these days, okay. you know. Uh, while before, when I went through these kind of uh, periods at the end of the season, I kind of started to not want to go on court, not want to pack. Uh, and then when I go to the tournament, yeah, I would, I, I would win some of these events, but it would still take so much out of me mentally. While now I'm enjoying, I found a way to enjoy this kind of periods, this kind of days, you know. Because would I rather be going on a holiday by the beach or still play a squash event? I would definitely rather play a squash event because that's my life and that's uh, what I love to do. <laughs> so, how do you, is there anything that you specific? Because I think it is just a habit, isn't it? The thoughts we think uh, just become a habit. So, do you, did you feel like you had you almost forced yourself to to look for the positives or the things to enjoy to begin with or I didn't really force myself to look at the positives because uh, even at this period you are, it's important to look at the negatives too <clears throat> very important because you don't want to look at one side and ignore the other yeah because looking at the negatives improve the positives mm. as well and facing yourself with the truth even if the truth is hard to be faced is also very important for you as an athlete to go through. But yeah, but I mean, um, 
like I'll tell you, for example, I'll uh, give you an example. Like for when I lost Rami in, the, in those two World Champs final, it used to always sometimes it sometimes it used to kind of uh, upset me. Uh, I mean, it just upset me, and that's one of the reason of why of why the when I lost I lost the two World Championship after I lost that final to Rami, the second final. Uh, and then one of the things that I looked at it, why does it really upset me? Why can't I think that um, I've been part of two great matches that the whole world talk about till today? And, and these two matches will be spoken about forever. And I have lost to someone who is considered as one of the greatest of the sport. And both of us played at another level that no one has been able to play at this level till today. And maybe for so many years. And being part of something special like that, it's so great that I have came to this level. That's a positive, that's just the way I started thinking about these kind of matches. Why will they upset me? I've been lucky that I go, every time I go to play a match against Rami, the whole world is waiting for it. Everyone waiting for both of us to play against each other. So why should I put myself under pressure when I play him? I'm actually grateful. I can actually be part of something special like that. And I think thinking this way, started to kind of help me through my career. And I think well, that's one of the reasons of why I played so well at the World Championship this year and that's why I won it. Mm-hmm. But that was the only struggle I had in my career, the World Championship. While I won everything else, that was the only thing left. I would always break down mentally during this event. But I had to change myself. And, the, and I realized that I didn't have to change myself in terms of squash, mm-hmm. but in terms of the way I see life, the way I think about life first. And then that made it positive into my squash career. You, you might have already said it, but yeah. what is there a moment that stands out that you consider to be the hardest thing that you've been through so far? Yeah, definitely last season. Uh, not last season, the season before it, of course, when I started losing and lost my ranking. And uh, and uh, it wasn't that I was losing to the Greg and Nick generation. It was I was losing to my own generation. And that's something was new to me. Because I've always beaten them through all my junior career, even during my professional career, you know. Uh, and that was the first time I lose to people my age. And these are the people I'm going to play with again for the rest of my career. And that kind of hit me. And I felt that if Nick and Greg can beat me, maybe that would, these were the only two left at the time. If Nick and Greg can beat me. But I know, like, hopefully I can get them back. Maybe uh, age will, was going to catch up with them as well. If Greg is 35. I, don't get me wrong. He's doing so well. But... Uh, as an athlete, you know, age is going to catch up with you one day. But with losing to my own generation, that's when I knew that uh, I, I have to improve. There, there is no other way of doing this other than improving and beating them. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, basically, for the end of my, the, till the end of my career, I'll be losing to them if I don't improve myself. So uh, that's what I did. I came back this summer, trained so hard, studied each of them. The interesting part, playing my own my own generation, they have looked up to me all like most of their career, and they have studied me all their career as well. So when they started playing me two seasons back, it's kind of they before I even hit the shot, they knew where it was going, and they stu- and but I didn't study them as much. When I lost summer, I chased them back, and I had to study them, and when I st- and I uh, I did my work well again at them, while this time. The maturity level that I got through that I know that I'm going to keep studying them even when I'm at the top of the ranking. That's the mistake I did last time. I didn't study my opponents because I was already winning. Yeah. Now I'm going to study them even if I'm beating them. Mm-hmm. And uh, something I've always had, uh, I had in me that I've always seen things before they happen. I've always predicted 
what my opponent was gonna do against me before they did it against me and um, I didn't see that with my own generation which is uh, showed the the lack of training maybe I had at this period the lack of motivation um, everything was just not going right you know mm-hmm. so I had to uh, come back and work and uh, I worked hard I wanted to uh, I wanted to come back and prove that I can do it again it was a new challenge as well but as I said every season is a new challenge so you've spoken about sort of being grateful in this new reframe of looking at matches where potentially nerves can overcome the majority of uh, human beings. Yeah. Um, do you do you find that that is just a practice that you do sort of in your warm up as well um, for when you for when you're competing? Because, you know, you can cultivate those kind of feelings of, of gratitude and awareness of the special or the the amazing thing that you're about to do but I still find that or I can still imagine that it's so easy for those nerves to kick in or for the occasion to get the better of you um how do you think about um nerves and is there a way that you kind of uh prepare yourself to to rise to the occasion in the way that you know you've already said of course I mean uh nerves are always going to be there no matter what and uh there is no if if I go to a match and I'm not nervous at all that's when you're underestimating your opponent. And uh, nerves are a good thing. But it's what's more important is to talk about them to the people you trust. Okay. Is not to just keep them to yourself. Because that's when nerves will go negative. Right. That's for me anyways. Everyone is different, obviously. But I remember I when I had Rami before the British Open final. That's what a huge, obviously, everyone was waiting for the match. We played in two World Champs final. Now we're playing the British Open final. And it was huge, of course. And I arrived to the venue. I was so nervous. Like, just uh, being part of an occasion like that, you know, it was just, I just, I'm a human being before being an athlete, you know. And I remember I saw my brother. I told him, uh, come with me for a second. I uh, went to my brother. He's the most person I trust. And uh, I took my brother and told him, come with me for a second. We went to the changing room. We sat in front of opposite each other. Uh, It was only the two of us. And I told him, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous that I'm not sure that I can't even hit one ball today on court. And uh, I'm shaking and I can't even walk properly. I can't talk to people properly. I can't smile. Uh, I'm just so nervous. And it was the most match I've been nervous playing in my life, actually. And he told me, you know, it's normal to be not to be nervous. You're playing Rami in the British Open final. It would be crazy not to think you'd be nervous today. And I'm myself nervous for you. You see, he was honest. He didn't try to lie to me and tell me, oh, you shouldn't be nervous and all that. Because that's wrong. You have to face your fear. You can't hide from them. And when you face them, that's how you can work them out in a positive way and on in your favor, you know. And then he told me, just go to the court. Just once you go to the court, you'll find yourself playing fine. You have trained hard, hit through the ball. And then after a few minutes, you'll forget all about the nerves and you'll be fine, you know. And everything happened the way, like everything literally, not everything. I knew that was going to happen. And I knew for the athlete, for like, if you're going to take nerves in a positive, that's what normally happened. But I had to go. I had to go and talk to to it to someone, and it was to my brother, definitely. 
and uh, of course obviously now unfortunately i can't do that with him anymore because <laughs> if i tell him that i'm sooner playing against him you're probably as you don't just have a face yeah to yeah, yeah. Each other how <laughs> uh, definitely we don't talk to each other and tell each other how nervous we are playing against <laughs> each other for the match anymore yeah. <laughs> uh, but we do that before we play other opponents yeah. we, we, we would be we would be true to each other and uh yeah as I said, you have to talk through them. Um, I think the benefit of doing that as well is just by literally voicing what's in your head, yeah. it just lets part of it out, doesn't it? It brings some kind of acceptance to to what it is that you're saying and obviously having someone else to hear that. Definitely, too. definitely, definitely. Mm. A big, big part of why I played well that day it was talking to my brother for the match. Mm. And that's the behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't see. Mm. People only saw me, the person, the athlete, who was hitting probably all his shots accurately that day, everything was going his way. Uh, people only saw that, but people didn't see how nervous I was before the match, what I was going through, uh, that I was playing, I don't know, I was playing my eighth final during the season and I was actually tired as well before the match. But once you play these kind of matches against your rivals, it doesn't matter how sick or tired you are, you rise yourself to the occasion. Because rivals, when they play against each other, even if they have been play- having a bad form during the season, but they were still one, two rival- rivals play against each other. The only thing that I remember, not their current form, but all the years they played against each other and all the fights they had against each other and mm-hmm. the all rise to their occasion. Mm-hmm. And we have seen that with my match with Greg this season at the British. It was like, it was, unbelie- it was an unbelievable match. And Greg has went through injuries this year. Mm-hmm. But once he played me in the semi, it was, he was a completely different Greg. He was a completely different Greg. And I expected that because when when Greg and me play against each other, we both were rise to the occasion of playing two rivals playing against each other. And that's the beauty of the sport, that we will improve, we'll take the sport together to another level, we'll improve each other, you know. And um, that's what's great about that generation, that I have learned all these things from them, definitely. And um, So can you capture what it feels like to be at your best? Um I wouldn't say I'm at my best. I will always think there is room for improvement mm, okay. uh, because uh, the moment I'm think I, the moment I think I'm at my best is the moment I'm gonna lose motivation. If I'm at my best, then why do I need to train? Then then I'll not why do I need to train? then I'll train the same way. Okay. I'll keep training the same way. But but when you think there is always room for improvement, you'll always think that no, there is more to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're not happy with yourself there, you, there are still other things you want to improve and uh, I would say I was the best to play, I was the best at, I was the best squash player maybe last season because I won more tournament than others but I wouldn't say I was uh, the best uh, at how I reached my potential in the sport yet mm-hmm. I feel I I'm 27 I still think I still have more to give to the sport and I still think that my opponents have still way more to give to the sport themselves as well and I think we'll all still play better than that we'll all improve together and, re- and raise each other game and that's uh, the exciting part about the sport that right now my generation have stepped it up and they're all still looking for uh, winning titles you, we saw Farag and my brother winning their first World Series title last season and uh, Gawad the season before it won two World Series titles and won the World Champ so these three players you know and uh, these are the three players I'm going to play with for the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. And we saw Diego is chasing us as well. Uh, Disuki, I'm sure, is going to be back from the injury and he will be back strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are the players, my, gener- my own generation, that I'll be playing for the rest of my career. And uh, But uh, I can't wait to see uh, how much improvement that I would have done 
and see how they'll play next season. And I can see how I'm going to cope against them as well. And uh, I hope we'll all be playing much better matches than last season because I think we all have things to improve, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so a slight reframe of question of the question is um, <laughs> oh, sorry. So, it's, it's fine. No, it's all still interesting. Um, so up until this point, there have been some of the matches that you will have played that you will have considered to be your best at that time. You know, so can you capture what it feels like, or yeah, what it feels like when you're playing at your best, at your current best yeah. when you're on court? And yeah. that makes sense. Like what what uh, kind of emotions are you feeling what's maybe going through your head or not going through your head how do you feel physically Any I, of that I actually stuff? think that the best match I have played in my life so far was against Rami in Elgona 2015 that final mm-hmm. and imagine when your best ever match you played in your life you actually lost it that the kind of maturity I have I've reached in my career mm-hmm. that I don't mind saying that the best match I have played in my life was a match I lost because that match I played it was against one of the best players who've ever played the sport. We both that day, Rami and me, we both that day took the sport to completely another level. The pace, the maturity, the the retrieval, the the change of pace. It was played on humid and hot conditions. Uh, the way I came back from two love down, I was match point down in the fourth. He was match point down in the fifth. The match had everything in it, and it was the final. Uh, and we both and that day the match could have went either way literally and I think we both I I would have hoped I, I mean I would hope that he would say that this is his best match in his career too <laughs> but for me that's definitely the best match I've played in my career and uh, I have not I haven't had to play that level in my career I haven't had someone who pushed me to play that level so far in my career again mm-hmm. and that match was three played three years ago mm-hmm. and I was only 24 Um I think I can definitely come back and play at that level again, but it's uh, you need someone who can push you to play at that level with you. Yeah. And honestly, I haven't played against someone in my career who is like Romy. Mm-hmm. So I had to play, ve- had to play at a level that day that I surprised myself that I even could play that level. Mm-hmm. That's what he, that's what he brought out of me, and I think I did bring something out of him completely special as well. And uh, this match for me is. Uh, it's spoken about one of the greatest matches I've played in the sport. In the sport, and I'm just, as I said, I'm grateful to be part of something like that. So I'm going to keep digging. Can mm. you like take me to or us to that time? Like you're on that court. What are you? What are you feeling? Are you aware of the fact that this match is insane, or are you just so focused on the moment that you know no. that you're not? I realized I realized that this match was insane the moment this match was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after this match was over, people will be realized for me to say this. I was not disappointed for one single sat- second after this match. Literally, I went off court. Uh, my mom and my dad were were kind of ups- sad for me. They thought that I would be really disappointed. I lost. But they were surprised that once they saw me, I literally hugged my mom and I hugged my dad. And I told them, uh, uh, I'm so grateful I was a part of something like that. Mm. I literally was not upset at all because I was just... I, I I gave it literally everything, more than everything I could have gave that day. And uh, there was nothing else I could have done. Uh, yeah, each one of us did a few mistakes here and there. But like, you would, you were about to do that in any match anyways. But but I really think that this is one... I, I haven't seen, obviously, the squash matches that have been played during the Jahangir and Jancher time. But I, when people talk that this is one of the best matches they have ever seen in their life, I'm just... Uh, that's what I... That's what I gave to the sport that day, me and him, me and Rami. And uh, 
and uh, what else do I need? You know, I give something like that to the people and um, I was able to play at that level and there is nothing else I, I'm more grateful for. And how much I'm, I'm in, interested, I know it's, it's, um, it's very difficult to put a figure on it, but how much of success on the world stage do you think is related to the mind? Oh yeah, it's everything. The mind is everything. Uh, I mean, uh, if your mind is not in a good place, when you go on court or in your on your journey or in your or on your season there is no way there is no way you're gonna get the success you should get uh so if you had to put a figure on it definitely what percentage my mind out of 100 yeah what percentage of success on the world stage is related to the mind for me for me it's 100 percent on the mind definitely uh it's it's literally the mind for me is everything and I think uh, that's what made me different the last few seasons to other athletes. My mind, how I was strong mentally, stronger mentally than other athletes I played against. Mm-hmm. How I won matches uh, only because uh, I kept fighting. Mm-hmm. When the, my opponents looked way better than me on court. When they played the way better squares than me on court. It was all fighting spirits. It was all how I stayed strong till the end. Mm-hmm. I refused to give up. And that's, uh, that's the mind that tells me to do that. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. Not my squash. It's my mind that tells me to do that. Uh, when I played Canary Wharf and I got a fever there and I was antibiotic there during the tournament, it was my mind that refused to lose this tournament. Physically, my body was was uh, was giving up during matches, but my mind refused to give up. I kept fighting. It's it's the mind that makes you fight. Uh, when I played that British Open final against Miguel, uh, when I kept falling on court. I wasn't. I was. I wasn't cramping. I actually did not even cramp for a second during this match. I was falling because I actually couldn't stand on my feet. I was that tired that I couldn't stand on my feet. I wasn't trying to get any time wasting. I actually couldn't stand. I was that tired. But it was my mind that kept fighting till the last point of this match. I refused to lose the British Open final when I was at that kind of physical discomfort during this match. But when I lost, I was not upset for even one second because. I'm not sure how many at least I could see fighting the way I did that final. Mm. What I went through during this tournament was food poisoning and the hard matches I had to go through and then to fight this way, mm. I just fought like a champion and uh, that's for me is worth everything for me. Mm. I'm going to come back again and play a lot, hopefully a lot of British Open finals. But uh, the way I lost for me that final, for me it's just uh, when I look back and watch myself falling to the floor like this and uh, refusing to give up the way I did and then coming back and refusing to give up and going through that physical discomfort during this tournament um, that's what separates champions from others that's that success that you were talking about right that you can get from testing yourself even though it was a, a loss kind of on paper you still as you said took yourself to the next level nothing was going to change the fact that I lost that final, but I didn't fight this way for for anyone. I fought this way for myself because I don't want to have regrets. Um, I uh, when I lose this way, I'm not gonna ever have regrets. I don't mind losing this way, but if I lost because I haven't trained hard or uh, I was not motivated, I will remember this for the rest of my career. Yeah. Definitely, I will have regrets over losing this way. Uh, the only thing that will make me lose that regret is if I come back and train hard again and learn from uh, that phase. And that's what I did last season. And that's why I was in a lot of discomfort in Dubai because I had only two weeks after the British to play Dubai. Mm-hmm. And I was not recovered yet from 
I was not recovered from the British, not the loss, but the the physical discomfort I was in. Mm. And I had to not show that to my opponents. I had to show I was strong. I had to show that uh, uh, I had to, I felt that I had to win this tournament and end this. And I felt that I had to end the season winning this tournament to uh, kind of with a strong body language because that was um, who I am as an athlete. You know, I'm going to go through a lot of discomfort, but I'm going to show you how I'm going to deal with it. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's what I do. I feel best is fighting is definitely my uh, fighting is I would say every athlete has his own talent. Fighting is definitely my talent. And do you think, um, well, I mean, you've said you believe 100% of it is related to the mind. Do you think this is something, or do you believe that this is something that um, you just either have or you don't have? Or you, or do you think this is something that we can train, that we can work on, we can develop? The mind, you can de- definitely you can train the mind. But um, there is that little bit extra. There is some athletes who are always ready to go over their limit. When you're ready to go over your limit, that's the, that's the reason of separate the winners from losers. Mm-hmm. And um, you can definitely train the mind to make it much more stronger. And I have seen a lot of athletes who are, used to lose matches because of their mind and they have improved so much. But there will always be a little bit of difference between the athletes who were born with it and has been taught how to do it. Uh, Lucky for me, I was born for it. <laughs> Lucky for me. Yeah. Because I was always had through a lot of struggles when I was junior. In junior, I had to always fight my way through. I was never helped from people to be where I am. And that kind of uh, made me uh, be born with it, you know, since I was a kid. But uh, the amount of athletes I have seen who have trained their mind and made it uh, much stronger is unbelievable, actually. But yeah, I mean, everything, there is, as I said, there is always a room for improvement for everything. But um, I guess you have at least who are have are talented when it comes to racket skills. But they will always be different than the at least who try to kind of uh, train themselves to hit the same kind of shots at the talented squash players who have that right. skill. You know, there, there will always be a little bit of difference end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's for me when it comes to the mind the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've you've said that you believe that you know the mind is is what you know makes the difference with success on the world stage what do you think is the biggest destroyer of success on the world stage the mind as well <laughs> definitely the mind as well you squash your squash uh, you're not gonna be a bad player all of a sudden mm-hmm. you, you can't play squash all your life and then forget how to play squash after one loss or after a few losses but it's uh, it's the mind that kind of loses its own confidence in your own ability mm-hmm. it's not your squash that loses its own confidence because that doesn't happen yeah, hitting a straight lens when you're confident is a completely different uh, thing than hitting it while you're not confident. And um, the other said the mind is hundred percent for me. And uh, the re- and the reason of why I got back last season again is not because I trained only hard and harder than everyone else. It's because I believe that I I was gonna come back there again. And uh, believing in your own ability and having your mind believing in it makes it completely different when you train you want to have your mind believing on the work you do before you're doing the work you don't want to just be physical physically present without believing on uh, on what you're doing and uh, so as i said the mind for me is 100 percent everything just not in sport by the way just everything in life literally the mind control everything and do you have like a specific 
habit or practice that you do daily or consistently that contributes to your kind of inner success or, or strength? Well, I have a few things, of course, but uh, I would probably talk to them, uh, talk about them after I finish my career. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, so next when you come on in next, however many years. When I come in we'll the podcast next time yeah. I'll speak about that. Okay. <laughs> we'll get all the dirt. Okay. Um and what is your I mean again, just say how much you want to I mean these can be questions for next time as well if needs be. But um what's your uh, what's your internal narrative like? Like what are the thoughts that go around in your head like? How do they how would you describe them? So, you know, whenever we're walking around or when we're on court we have a voice in our head. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about the voice in your head. What is what 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 does he sound like? Like Paul Amprini, you what do you mean? Um is Sorry. it uh is it positive? Is it hard is it hard on you? Does it talk a lot? Is it quite quiet? Oh, uh, um, no, I always have a I would always have it positive, definitely. Mm-hmm. Especially when I'm training and uh, and I come to a point during training while training is getting really hard during the session uh, I get angry at myself okay and tell myself that's when I want to go even more so it's critical yeah, yeah. so I uh, the, the way that it drives me I drive myself through anger okay when I'm uh, when I'm at a point where I want to stop mm-hmm. uh, angry at myself not at anything else angry at myself so when I get angry at myself I motivate myself through that but you see during matches I don't do that I wouldn't motivate myself through anger if I do that kind of emo- if I if I use that kind of emotion, it will be negative on my squash. I have to be more relaxed. I have to motivate myself in a relaxed way during my matches. But uh, in training, it's a different case. I can be angry at myself during it's training. It's just you, right? It's, it's so just controllable. Me. Exactly. In a match, you've actually you could probably direct that anger towards them rather than towards um, myself. Yeah. Exactly. Towards my opponent, but not to show them kind of uh, my emotions. My anger emotion as well at the same time. Uh, every at least you play him differently, you know. Yeah, whether whether if you do that against someone, sometimes it goes negative on you. So uh, so everyone is different. Every at least you have to play him differently. It comes of when it comes to emotions and the, and the way the way you think about them. You have to understand your opponent first. The way they think, the way they uh, see you, the way they think about you as an athlete, as a person. So you have to think about literally every single small detail before you even know how to play them. And that's what I do. I have to study all my opponents, not even just as a squash player, who they are as a person first, of course, as well. I have to study all. I have to study everything about them. I, I have to. It's my work. I'm a squash. I'm a professional squash player. If I don't do that, then I, I'm not a professional enough to be where I am. I have to do it. So that that sounds like the ways that you've uh, you've used your internal narrative or the voice in your head. Uh, in a constructive way or in a positive way um is there a is there a kind of a thought pattern or things that go through your head that um that don't serve you very well or that you're still working on trying to uh to improve um i'm not sure actually <laughs> of course there as i said there will always be rooms for improvement um i'm not sure <laughs> okay um is there a word that cuts to the center of who you are? Um, like how I am, you know. Mm-hmm. You mean how I am? Yeah, it's up for you to decide. I, am, I think uh, I'm, um, I'm kind of two different person in one person. One, when I'm, uh, I'm the torments, I'm inside the squash courts. 
I wear a mask always. It's like a beast mask. And someone who is off court. People who know me actually, and and I I don't show this side unless to people who really know me, like the people who know me. But like people wouldn't even understand how soft I am actually off court. <laughs> and uh, but I would never show that on court because if I show this any of this on court, I'll be eaten alive. You always have to show the the strong side of you. That's what I believe in. If I'm gonna show any weak side of me, I'm. My opponents will see it and will hunt me down. Can't be world number one in this that be weak. I have to show that beast. Uh, when Joey said that nickname about me being a beast, I just perfectly suited me, mm-hmm. definitely, because he knew me since I came to Milfield, how I trained and how I was. And mm-hmm. uh, but of course, I'm definitely uh, a completely different person. So a lot of athletes always say that person who are on court is the same person or how, of who you are. Of course, I don't agree with that statement. Uh, I think uh, on court, uh, you have to be hard. You can't be soft. Mm-hmm. Whether off court, uh, you can be soft to the, the people, you know. You are always, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, with my brother, of court, I'm as soft as it gets, you know. But on court, I'm not going to be soft with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just two different sides. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> How would those people describe you? The people that know you best? The, that I'm soft, actually. <laughs> just soft? Yeah, yeah that I'm quite soft, actually, of court. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Normally, people who get to know me, they actually uh, can't believe how I am because they all they always kind of make up an idea of how I am with the way that they see me playing, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I don't really care that much when people with whatever people opinions about me with how I am because people see the athletes side of me, but we are human beings before being athletes, and as a human being, of course, people who can really talk about me or say who I am are the people who really know me. So that's uh, that's a side that I have learned over the years as well. Is uh, the only people I care about their opinions, people who actually know me as who I am as a person, and uh, these are the people who I really care about their opinion. And that's why it doesn't really phase me that much when people say stuff about me that uh, they don't even know what they're talking about. You know, just yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their opinion. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever you do, you know, people always have an op- they always have an opinion about it. And if someone doesn't like you, no matter whatever you're gonna do, they will always find something to make it look that it wasn't right, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so as an athlete, part of my job is only focusing on what and how I improve, not uh, focusing on how people think I should improve because mm. these people don't know what I go through in my personal life or how I get there, or they don't they don't see any of this. Is there a word? that cuts to the center of what you're craving for most or what you're searching for most? Um, hmm. Just one word. <laughs> Maybe, but you can, you, can, you can interpret it how you want. I just want to be happy the way I like live my life, you know? And uh, I don't expect to have... Uh, to have uh, people agreeing with the way I see my, the way I should live my life to be happy. Uh, I just do it for myself. And if that works for me, then I'm happy. And if other people can have opinions about not agreeing about how I go with it, then it's fine, but I'm not gonna ever have an opinion on how they see their own happiness as well, you know? So I just want to be happy with the way and be satisfied with how I live my life, the way I see my career, the way, uh, I do things in my life and only me who understand that the most about myself. Mm. So, um, so I can have it without regrets, you know. I want to I wanna live my life my own way, not the 
way that people want me to live it, basically. And last question. Sure. Um, if you could have a phone call to yourself at yeah. any point in your life, when would it be and what would you say to yourself? Uh, I guess it would be... I mean, if I know that this would be my last day, it would be in my last ever day I'm going to live, probably. And just tell myself that uh, I'm proud of everything you've done. You know, there's nothing nothing else. Uh, because um, I um, I want to be proud of everything I've done in my life. With the mistakes I've done, with how I turned the negatives into positives and the way I live my life. So uh, I'm going to live only once, so I just want to be proud of uh, myself one day. And uh, and that doesn't only come only, obviously, with my squash career, because obviously squash is going to finish one day, and it's only gonna be a, squash is only going to be a small part of my life. Uh, so uh, for my afterlife with my kids, hopefully one day, my family, I just want to be uh, a good example one day. So so hopefully I, I, I'll try to be. <laughs> Great. Mm. Mohammed, just mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for not only you know offering your time but but also for opening up in the way that you have you know despite the fact that you're still playing and i'm just sincerely grateful that that you've accepted the offer to come on here and um yeah just thank you man really it's okay tom and i'm glad you're uh you're doing something you really always wanted you you always something you wanted to do and something you spoke to me about last year i'm glad it's going really well and uh it's nice to uh see each other progress in our own life you know the way that we wanted to go and uh well done man and uh, can't wait to hear some more broadcasts with other players definitely <laughs> i appreciate that Thank thanks you. man thanks man um if if people kind of people who aren't already following you and, yeah. and your progress what's the best way for people to follow you or to connect with you and if they have any questions or anything maybe on social media or I've something always, like like that. Whenever, whenever someone asks me anything through social media i always make sure i always ask i always answer the fans and stuff and i uh, make sure i always give time to answer everybody mm-hmm. so uh, i'm quite an easy person to talk to and do you have a, a book recommendation or something for for the followers for the people that are listening um there is one book that i really uh, liked reading made a huge difference with me last summer was it's called Re- relentless it's a pretty good book. It's talk about the difference between good athletes and great athletes mm-hmm. and unstoppable athletes. Ah, okay. Between nice. the three different athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a lot of good athletes, many great athletes, but few unstoppable athletes. So it was a great book for me to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, that's a book I would recommend, definitely. Love that. Do you know who the author is? It's by Tim Grover, who was a fitness coach of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and stuff. So he knew uh, the okay. kind of mentality, this kind of athletes he worked with but that's when it comes to sport when it comes to kind of life and stuff i read a book last summer the alchemist Mm -hmm. which was uh, a book that taught me a lot about life and the way i could approach life as well it's uh yeah it's uh, these two books two different kind of books but uh, i would recommend reading the alchemist first and then reading the uh, relentless book definitely (laughs) how to be an unstoppable athlete or whoever you see yourself Mm. as a good athlete or great or Mm. uh, in every category, there is a way to live it. So sure. uh, it was, uh, he saw his, uh, Tim saw his experiences with the different kind of athletes he worked with. And it was quite an interesting book to read for me. Great. Okay, so mm. I'll link that up in the show notes. We have the last kind of little group of questions. So mm. I'm going to begin the sentence and you're just going to finish it with what comes to mind. Okay. You ready? Yeah. 
success is... Is a great feeling. <laughs> Such simple things. <laughs> right. do, we, do we need to do these things? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good to hear. I, I wish I could hear the stuff that was going through your head before okay. you said it. Okay. Uh, failure is? Is the best uh, motivational uh, factor to have. The thing I understand most is? The things I understand most is no matter how much I thought I would understand something, I realize that I don't understand it enough. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Life is. That's deep, man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Complicated. <laughs> Last one. It all comes down to. It all comes down to to who you want to be and how you want to live your life, and it's your own journey, nothing else. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. No problem. All right, and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, if you did, then please uh, share it with a friend, someone that you think would find this beneficial, and please do reach out to myself or Mohammed. Uh, with any questions or thoughts that you have you can find me at Tom Ford Squash on most social medias and uh, tomfordsquash.com and you can find Mohammed. I'll, I'll link him up in the show notes too uh, if you're enjoying these conversations then then please follow the page um, that way you can keep up to date with whenever any new conversations are coming up and uh, yeah thank you again for listening thank you for your support and uh, I'll see you next time with the next one peace <laughs>